So, I have a grandpa. Raise your hand if you have a grandpa. Okay. Uh, those of you who aren't raising your hands are probably lying. Um, everyone does, alive or not. So, I have a grandpa, and he hates text messaging. Um, hates it. Like, I don't just mean doesn't prefer it. I don't just mean, like, if I text him, he doesn't text me back. I mean, literally despises it to the point where at one point in time, he called his phone provider and said, listen, if you put any of that text messaging junk on my phone, I'm going to throw it in the lake. That's what he said. He hates text messaging. Uh, The reason why he hates text messaging is because he thinks it's super rude, okay? So like, you know, you're in a conversation with someone and you pull out your phone and you start texting. You guys, if you have a phone, you do that all the time, okay? But he, as from a little bit older and different generation, thinks that that, which is a new phenomenon, you know, to him, he thinks it's rude. And so instead, here's his solution. We may be sitting around his living room and, you know, he may not be a part of any conversation, but he's in the room. And what he'll do is he'll pull his phone out, flip it open, yep, flip it open, pull the antenna up, which I've also heard doesn't help, but pull the antenna up and dial someone up and then call them. And like we're all sitting in the room, he's like, hey, Bob, how's it going? Right, like you can't tell me that that is less rude than texting, am I right? But he just comes from a different generation. And so my point is this, today we're going to be discussing Um, I'm asking for a friend who has a hard time believing the Bible because they think that the Bible is full of a bunch of made-up fables or made-up stories, okay? But here's the the thing, and this is kind of our intro I want to talk about and give you guys just a minute at your tables to discuss it. Do you or have you ever experienced or seen um, a generation gap, all right? So what I just uh, explained to you is my grandpa who's from one generation and me and my siblings and stuff who are from another generation— And he believes one thing about phones, and I believe another thing about phones. And neither one of us are right or wrong. In fact, he probably has some really good points, and I probably have some really good points. But the fact of the matter is he has a preference, I have a preference, and there's a gap. All right, so here's what I want you guys to answer. At your table, what is an example in your life where you have experienced a generational gap? All right, on your mark, get set, with words, go. All right, take another minute or so and finish up your your conversation at your table. All right, so here's the deal. Over time, And even over a short period of time, things can change rapidly. So I'm talking over a 100 to 150 year period of time, 
things have changed. Let me give you an example. Let me take you back to the year 1900, all right? So that is 118 years ago, all right? Uh, women were allowed to compete in the Olympics. And you're thinking, yeah, that's the same as today. No, that was the very first year that women were allowed to compete in the Olympics, okay? The first ever speed limits were implemented, all right? Before that, there was no speed limits, okay? You ready for these blistering speeds? In cities, you could go 10 miles per hour. And in villages, you were allowed to drive 15. And in rural areas, it was like the Autobahn out there, you could drive 20, all right? Those were speed limits in 1900. I would be in deep trouble. Um, the very first ever crayons were invented in 1900, and the very first ball dropped in New York City for the very first time, all right? And so keep in mind that all of this was pre-cell phones, pre-modern cars, and pre-computers, and pre-the internet, all right? So that's an example of what's going on in 1900. Now, let me give you another example along with that. Let's say I handed you a book. How many of you like reading? How many of you read? Because you have to. Okay. How many of you don't read and say you read um, at school? Ah, you guys should not raise your hands. Okay, so um, let's say I handed you a book from the year 1900. When you read it, or when you read it, what will you have to do as you read? You'll have to try and bring yourself back to the mindset of the year 1900, okay? Like if someone's talking about a horse and buggy, you're not allowed to say, that's ridiculous, that would never happen. You knew that it would happen, right? You've seen it happen. History has proven that it, it would happen, okay? Um, and so you have to kind of understand the context. Does that make sense what I'm saying right now as you're reading a book from, from the 1900? Okay, so with that being said, um, what we're going to be looking at, like I said, is we're going to be asking for a friend who thinks the Bible's full of a bunch of fables, okay? And so when I typically teach you, I say, hey, turn to a chapter and we'll read like seven or eight verses or something like that. Today, we're really only going to look at two unconnected verses. Like they're connected, but they're not like in the same passage, okay? And then I'm also going to give you a little bit more of like a, a lesson as opposed to like a, a study from the Bible because it's going to help back up the proof of the Bible, all right? So if you want to look up these two verses and just kind of put your thumb in one or the other, the first one is Hebrews 4, chapter 12, or Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, and the second one is 2 Timothy 3, 16, okay? So as you're looking that up, I want to tell you guys another example of this whole context thing. So one of my all-time favorite TV shows is a show called Seinfeld, all right? And Seinfeld is a show about a comedian who lives in New York City. And what's funny is I've gone back and I've looked at some episodes, and modern day, these wouldn't work, okay? So let me give you an example. Um, in one episode, George, Jerry, Elaine, and Kramer, they're all different four friends. They're in a shopping mall um, car garage port thing. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like when, when you park in a garage. And the whole episode is them walking around trying to find where they parked, all right? Well, in 2018, um, in present day, they're walking around a uh, shopping mall parking garage, and Kramer pulls up his My Car Locator app, and he finds, it on the, he finds his car on his Android phone, and they get home sooner than expected. See, now all of a sudden, that episode is null and void. Let me give you an, another example. In one uh, episode, George has uh, gone, gone out on a date with a girl, and he's afraid that he's missed his chances with her. So 
he calls her and leaves her a message, and she doesn't call back. And so he calls her and leaves her another message, another message, every time getting increasingly more desperate and increasingly more mean, all right? Well, then he finds out that she went out of town for the week. And so all these mean messages are sitting on her answering machine at home. So he devises a plan to meet her at her building, uh, go upstairs with her, and just have someone else distract her, and while they're distracting her, switch out the answering machine tape, okay? Now, in modern day, if this were to happen, George has an awkward ending on a date. He texts the girl and says, hey, I'd like to get back together again uh, another time on a date. She says, I'm out of town. I'll text you next week. Boom. End of episode. So you see, my point in saying this is as time evolves and as technology evolves and all these different things, there are, there are differences in the past, all right? Like, I can tell you that story about the, the, machine, the answering machine tape, and though you may not ever have any experience with an answering machine tape, you know it existed. You're not writing it off and saying, an answering machine tape, that's ridiculous. That's never existed, all right? You know it's existed. You maybe can't relate as well, but if you can bring yourself back into that context, it can help us, it can help you out understand it a little bit more, okay? And so I say all that to say that the Bible requires a ridiculous amount of context, all right? It wasn't written in 1900. It was written thousands of years ago on another continent to another culture in another language, all right? And so if you've ever had a friend or ever met someone who's like, I can't believe the Bible because it just seems incredibly untrue, what they and you have to understand is you're reading a piece of literature from another continent from over a thousand years ago, all right? There's going to be some things that just don't really make a lot of sense in modern day, but they can be explained and they can be reconciled, all right? And that's what I want to point out today. So um, the first point I want to make to you guys is this. The Bible wasn't written to people in present day, all right? But it still matters today. All right, so the Bible wasn't written with you as an eighth grade girl who goes to Mason today, all right? It wasn't written for that, but you can take many, many, many pieces of the Bible and still apply them to us today. So let me give you a couple of verse examples. So the first one is Hebrews 4.12. If you have it, you can read along. It's also on the screen. It says, for the word of God is alive and powerful, and it's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword cutting between soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Now, I realize that that's a little bit of maybe a strange verse for you, but the point of the words written here is that the Bible is alive and it's active. Okay, let me give you uh, an illustration. So at summer camp, I led a uh, group of uh, upperclassmen guys, and they're great, but one, one uh, quiet time, they all just decided to play hooky, all right? And so they're playing hooky, and they didn't read their Bible, and so our discussion was really lame because I was like, well, what'd you guys read in your quiet time? And all of them were like staring at the ground, and then I discovered that they were all lying to me. So the next session, I was like all mean and like, all right, guys, you have to do this. And so they did their quiet time that day, and then that discussion was single-handedly the best discussion we had. I asked one question as a group leader. I said, hey, what'd you guys learn or read in your quiet time? And all of a sudden, conversation just exploded, and people are, like, interacting, and like, yeah, yeah, I got that. Hey, I have a question about this, question about that. You know what the answer was? God's word 
is alive and active. And as they engaged in God's word, it brought our discussion and our conversation to life. And I think sometimes we think that the Bible is old and dead and for a bunch of people written thousands of years ago, and it doesn't relate to me in my, my life today. And that could not be further from the truth. God's word, as it says itself, is alive and it's active and it's, it's a mirror for you to look into and judge your thoughts and your intentions and your motives. That's what this verse is talking about. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me? Nod your head if it does. If not, just put your head down or something like that. Okay, now, that's one verse. The other verse I want to point out to you is this, 2 Timothy 3.16. And it says, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So, all scripture. If you do have your Bible and you have a pen, you want to circle the word all there. That's an important word. All scripture. Every single page that you have open right now that you can flip to, all of that scripture comes from God. Yes, there was a human author, but the Holy Spirit inspired them and revealed to them what God wanted them to write. So we can have confidence that all of scripture comes from God. And not only does it come from God, but look, it's useful for teaching. So I get up every single week and I teach you guys something from God's word. It's useful for rebuking. That's not as fun of a one, but like if you are uh, misbehaving or you're out there sinning uh, and a leader or a friend or an accountability partner is like, hey, listen, that's not what you should be doing because this is what God's word says. It's useful for correcting. If you're wrong, if you have a misinterpretation on something, it's useful for that. And it's useful for training to help you grow in your likeness and, and righteousness uh, as you become more and more like Christ, all right? And so all these ways are, are ways that uh, the Bible can be useful in our, uh, in our life. Now listen, I want to show you guys a text message that I received a little over a year ago. So there should be a picture up there, okay? If, I don't know if you're going to be able to read this. I'll read it for you. Here's what, this is my brother-in-law, Kevin Cooperow, all right? That's my brother-in-law. He said, auctions are legit, my new Actually, I said this, sorry. Auctions are legit, my new favorite way to play. And then I said, I'll trade you Martin's backup for Zeke's backup. And he said, LOL, as if right now Martin's backup is only slotted to start three games as opposed to six. Tempting because Rodgers could potentially win out the starting job over Martin, but I'm going to take that risk. McFadden, I think, is going to do really well, easy to run behind that Dallas line. Now, I dropped you in on a conversation from a little over a year ago. Does anyone know what we're talking about? What? Fantasy football, exactly. You, and how did you know that? The context of the text message? Right. Now, I didn't get up here and say, I'm going to read you a text message all about fantasy football from a little over a year ago. As you read the text message, though, you could start to pull pieces and parts that like, oh, yeah, okay, that guy plays for this team, that guy plays for this team. Auction, that's a style of draft. Like, all these different things, okay? This was the day that we uh, in our family had our fantasy football draft, and I wanted to make a trade with him, okay? And that's what we were talking about. Now, the point is this. When we read God's word, a lot of times if you just open it up randomly, it's going to feel like you dropped in on the middle of a story or on the middle of a text message without the proper context. It's going to make no sense. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? And so you could understand some stuff, and I'm sure the same is true with God's Word, but it's important to understand the context when we are reading God's Word. Now, here's the thing. What I got up here and I said, hey, uh, if you're like, hey, I have a friend who is struggling with believing the Bible because I think it's made up of a bunch of fake stories. 
and I said, hey, here are two verses that you can go and prove to your friend that the Bible is true. What's your friend probably going to say? They're probably going to say, all right, you just took the Bible and used the Bible to prove that the Bible was true. But I don't believe the Bible is true, so I don't care what these verses say that come from a book that I already don't believe is true. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Now, if you're a Christian, you believe the Bible, those verses are absolutely 100% true. But it's like the Bible is proving the Bible. So here's what I want to do. The last little section here, it's going to get a little bit academic, but hang with me, lock in, pay attention, because this is really important. I'm going to prove to you through outside sources that the Bible is true, okay? So people who aren't Christians, people who don't have an agenda, people who aren't trying to prove the Bible is true because they're Christians or they're pastors or any of that kind of stuff, but just scientists and thinkers and philosophers and archaeologists and people all throughout history who are going to prove the truth of the Bible. Everyone look at Steve and wave and say, hi, Steve. All right, so back to it. Here we go. The second point, so the first point that I made was that the Bible was, uh, wasn't written to people in present day, but it matters today. The second point is this. The Bible is a unique piece of literature. Here's how, all right? Number one, the Bible was written over a time span of 1,500 years, okay? So the very first author to the very last author, there was a time span of 1,500 years. Why do I tell you that? The last author couldn't collaborate with the first author if they were going to write a fake book, okay? Does that make sense? So the, the, the time span is so big that not, not all the authors knew each other. So if they were trying to create this giant conspiracy, they couldn't. The first author, Moses, was dead when John, the last author, wrote Revelation. Make sense? The second point, it was written by over 40 authors. It's a lot of authors, Okay some of which who lived on three different continents um, and spoke three and wrote in three different languages. So the Bible was written in the Old Testament, mostly Hebrew, a little bit of Aramaic, and then the New Testament was written primarily in Greek. So 40 authors, three continents, three different languages, and yet the subject matter, though it may contain some controversial topics, all the authors speak with harmony and continuity. They all speak the same message. Does that make sense? You guys understand what I'm saying there? So that's why the Bible is a super unique piece of literature, and that's why it can be trusted. So real quick, I want to give you two types of evidences that support this. The first is called bibliographical evidence. Everyone say that word with me. Ready? There you go. Okay. So the Bible doesn't have any of its original pieces of paper that it was written on, okay? So all we have are copies, or a word that we call manuscripts, all right? And so you might be thinking, wait a minute, that's not very good evidence for the Bible being true. And you're right, like, someone might say, hey, there's no original copies of the Bible, it's just a bunch of people who copied it. And when you play the game telephone, you know, you copy stuff, or you, you say something different, the message gets a little bit contorted, all right? Well, here's the deal. There are, even though no originals, there are 24,000 manuscripts or copies um, of the writing of just the New Testament, okay? 24,000, that's a lot. The next highest from the same era of the Bible, now listen, if you have a Bible now or if you have any other type of like book, it's written and it's done digitally and there's a printing press, so there's a whole different way that we can justify if it's true or not. Back then, you had to use the same criteria, whether it was a Bible or just any other piece of writing. So 24,000. The next highest, does anyone have a guess what the next highest number is of, of manuscripts? 
Oh, you're a leader. Ten? Ten thousand? Ten. I don't know your sins. Ten. No. Well, it's a little higher than ten. Twenty-four thousand? What's your guess? Two thousand? Nope, it's lower. Six hundred and forty-three. So the first one is the New Testament. The second one is 643. Do you see how high of a difference that is? All right. And that's uh, Homer's Iliad. All right. Now check this out. There is more evidence for the reliability of the text from the New Testament um, than there are for any 10 pieces of literature from that same time period put together. So you take the second, third, fourth, fifth, all those, and you add those up. The Bible still has more. Okay, so if, if your friend is like, yeah, okay, but still, there's still no originals, all that kind of stuff, that's fine. Then you can't listen to any piece of literature from that time period. All philosophers, all those things have to also get thrown out, all right? The next uh, evidence I want to show you is external evidence. That one's a little easier to say. Everyone say external evidence. There you go. So archaeology, which is the studying and digging up of bones and all those kind of things, it provides us powerful evidence and it proves countless passages within the bible are also accurate okay so if a person discards the bible they must also discard all other ancient types of writing all right and so you might be thinking what's the big deal i don't care about ancient writings i only care about 2018 that's fine okay but what you're saying is anything written before the printing press era is invalid so you're counting out like over half of our known history on this world all right and so here's the bottom line that I want you guys to hear today. It actually takes more faith to believe the Bible is not true than to say that it is true. There's more evidence pointing to the truth of God's word from external sources and internal sources than there are for any other piece of literature. Does all of that make sense what I'm saying? Now here's the deal. You're sitting here and you're like, yeah, yeah, blah, blah. I know, I know, I know all this stuff. Like, why does this matter to me? Um, why should I care? I'm a, I'm a Christian. I go to church. I already believe all this stuff. Here's the deal. If you come to church, and the only reason is because mom and dad don't want to take you into big church, and they drop you here, it's a little more convenient for them, then you're just coming, you're listening to what I say, you go, and you hope no one calls on you in small group, and you leave, all right? You're not actually living your faith yourself. You're just kind of going through the motions, and so I want to show you why we as a church and why we as a student ministry believe so strongly in the Bible and in God's word, all right? This isn't just an old, dusty piece of writing. This is a book that's alive and active, and not only does the Bible say that, but outward and external sources also prove the credibility and the reliability of the Bible. And so you need to know that because as you leave from here and as you go throughout your life, you, the Bible should be your guiding light in everything you do. It's not just a book you bring on Sunday mornings. Um, it's not just something that, you know, we come kind of do passingly. Like, it is, it is your actual uh, guidebook. It is, it is what gives you answers, is what answers questions uh, for us in our life. And you will face people, maybe you don't now, but you will face people who don't believe that God's word is true, and you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it is. Now listen, if what I set up here wasn't enough, or you still have questions, or whatever the case may be, uh, I want to let you guys know about one thing that I added this week. 
So um, I, is there a picture of that course? So there is a online six-session video course by Sh- Josh and Sean McDowell. Those names might mean nothing to you, but in the Christian space, these are the two leading authors on the evidence of the Bible, on the evidence of faith, on the evidence of resurrection. And so if what I said here today, you're like, that's good, but like, I still want to know more. I-, I have questions. Then guess what? I paid for every one of you who wants to do this, to take this class. And it's video class. You can take it on home, on your phone, on your own time. There's little reflection questions. All you need to do is give me an email, whether it's your email or a parent email, and then it'll generate a login for you to get in and to take, take part in this course, okay? So what you need to do, if you want access to this, is send me um, your email via Remind, all right, via our text service. And so if you're not already signed up for that, uh, maybe a leader can help you with that after this, or I can. Uh, also, tell your parents that I, send, I am sending out an email tomorrow with instructions on how to get it as well. So tell them, like, hey, Pastor Nick talked about a course. I'm interested in it. When you get his email tomorrow, can you read it and tell me all about it and how to sign me up, okay? My, I would challenge all of you to go through this, all right? This will hopefully give you better evidence and cement your belief in what we believe in the Bible and Jesus, all those things, okay? This is a really cool opportunity for you. I hope you take advantage of it. Obviously, it's optional, but if I could make it not, I would. So let me pray, and then you guys are going to go and unpack some of this. And listen, if you still have questions, if stuff doesn't make sense, now's the time to ask them. Don't just pretend it made sense. Like, ask the hard questions. So let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this group of students, these amazing junior hires and these amazing leaders. I pray that you give them a great conversation, um, help give them the the boldness to ask the hard questions, uh, help give them the uh, desire to want to take this online class. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, see ya.